Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're going to be in Genesis 36 tonight. Take your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 36. The sad story of Esau is where we are in the Bible. Genesis chapter 36. We're going to tackle the chapter Although I will tell you ahead of time that we are not going to read every name in this chapter, because if you've read ahead, you know that this is a uh, chapter full of names. It's one of those genealogical chapters that you wonder, should I even spend time trying to read this? But actually, we're going to find some real benefit in going through this tonight, and we're actually going to take a route that will lead us back to Christmas tonight. Interestingly enough, from Genesis 36, we'll end up at the Christmas story. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, as we've come together tonight, we are hungry to hear from you. That's really why we're here, is to worship you, as Pastor Chris just mentioned, and and to hear from you, Lord. We want to have ears to hear what you would say to us. We want to have a heart that is ready to commune with you in a special way. So we know you're going to speak, because we're going to read the Bible tonight together, and We just want to have ears that are tuned to your spirit, a heart that is hungry for the word of God that changes us. So may we take it in deeply into our hearts tonight and learn the lessons that you have for us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've gone there many times before, so I'm just going to touch on it as we start the message in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 13. If you haven't noted this before, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 13, written to a largely Gentile church, tells the Corinthians that we benefit from reading Old Testament stories. In fact, we're supposed to learn lessons from the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel and the, the frankly, dumb things that they did, and we're supposed to avoid them. And we're told to learn. We're we're told to learn lessons about other people's mistakes and stumbles. And one of the things that the Bible gives you, especially when you read stories like this tonight and you kind of recap a life that has a hanging question mark over it, is I don't want to be like that. Some of you have a history where you've been through some bumps and bruises, maybe in your family, maybe, you know, in your growing up, and and you're going to do the opposite now. You experience something that you know is not good. You want it to be different. For you, it could be just being a Christian. Maybe you didn't get raised in a Christian family, and you want to be the trendsetter for a Christian family. And maybe for you, it was a rough upbringing, or maybe it's a combination of both. Oftentimes, what the Bible does is it gives us a chance to park and reflect on a major character of the scriptures. You'll notice in verse one of chapter 36, it says, now these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Now you'll note that Esau did become the father of a nation. He became the father of the Edomites. And we're gonna touch on that as we move through the message. But we know that Esau was Jacob's older brother. And we know that this story has really centered itself for a lot of chapters on these two guys. This particular section in in chapter 36 will close the book, in one sense, on the life of Esau. We're not really gonna hear much more about him. 
We will hear about Edom, and there's other places that touch on Esau, but as far as the book of, of Genesis is concerned, this is the closing chapter on a life. And there are closing chapters on lives. We all know that lives have an opening page and a closing page, at least as far as it concerns this earthly existence. You get two dates. You get a date that you're born and a date that you die, and you get a dash in between. And what you do with that will leave a record. Notice that the Bible says these are the records of the generations of Esau. There is a record. There's implications in the Bible that heaven keeps a record of things that we do. God keeps a record. God's eyes run to and fro upon the earth, and he wants to strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. God keeps records. How all that works, I don't know. I don't know if he has the best supercomputer that was ever created, but there are records, and the Bible does this on several occasions. We've seen this actually many times already in Genesis, that there's a pause in, a, in the book. There's a chance to think. These are the records of the generations of Esau. If I were to ask you to plug your name in there right there, these are the records of the generations of Michael Lance. These are the records of the generations of plug your name in. There's going to be a story told. The story is going to be about your influence. The story is going to be about the trajectory of your life. The story is going to be about generations that came from you. The, ge the story is going to be about influence, whether good or bad. You have one shot at this, folks, and there's going to be a record. Now, interestingly enough, there's a record that's mentioned in the next chapter, and when we move into chapter 37, the book of Genesis will take a turn, and the focus of Genesis will become a man named Joseph. Notice in chapter 37, look at verse 2. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. And then it says Joseph was 17 years of age, and we'll get into that as we move through Genesis. There's a record of the generations of Jacob. Jacob became Israel. He was renamed in an earlier chapter as he wrestled with God. And there's a record of the generations of Esau. And Esau became Edom. Jacob became Israel, a nation. Esau became Edom, a nation. Two nations were in the womb of Mama. Remember when she said, what's going on inside of me? There's like a wrestling match. And the answer was, there's two nations in your womb. There's a wrestling match going on because this is a foretaste of what will happen. And so we have a record here. And it's a chance of, for reflection. It's a chance for a student of Scripture, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ to, to pause and say, Hmm, what was Esau's life about? What can we consider about this man named Esau since the Bible is really telling us to think about his records? Well, we know many things about him. We can see some positive things about Esau. We know that Esau was a man's man. We know he was a hunter. We know he had a big red beard. <laughs> we know he was really hairy, right? So he was a hairy guy. He was a, a skilled hunter. He was able to go out and hunt things kill things and prepare savory dishes. That's a pretty cool thing to have, right? Especially if you're his dad and he treats you to those savory dishes. So that's why he was favored by his father because he could go out and hunt and, and, and kill game and he had, he had strong skills in that way. But in many ways, Esau was what we might call easygoing Esau. 
He'd probably be a fun guy to hang out with. He'd probably be a fun guy to spend time with. He was probably maybe even fun to be around. But in the end, the thing that we realize about Esau, his, his demise, if you will, was that he did not think deeply about spiritual things. He was a man of the moment. He was a man who, when something was in front of him, he just acted upon it. Remember uh, early on when we see the account of these two brothers, he comes in from the field and Jacob's preparing stew. And uh, he goes, give me some of that red stuff, right? And he goes, and Jacob says, well, all I want is your birthright and I'll give you some of the stew. Well, what good is my birthright when I'm starving to death, right? Well, he wasn't really starving to death. We don't know when he had the last meal. It could have been two hours ago. We're not sure. But what he did is he sold his birthright. And some people will say, well, that's because of Jacob. Jacob was a conniver. Oh, Jacob was a conniver. But Esau is the one that put his birthright up for sale. I want you to think about that for a second. If Esau doesn't put it up for sale, Jacob doesn't get it. And there's a lot of people that give away what the Bible says is very precious, very dear, uh, it's supposed to be considered holy and sacred. And in our culture and people within the walls of the church just simply give it away like it's nothing. And that was the problem with Esau. Esau was an immoral man. In fact, when we get a commentary in the Bible on Esau, and one of the best ways to understand uh, and come to a conclusion about a person in the Bible is let the Bible interpret the Bible. And of course, we have this telling story. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go there for a second. Hebrews 12, turn there in your Bible with me. And let's see what the writer of Hebrews says. We'll remind ourselves of this. But I wanna just read a little bit as you guys find Hebrews 12. It says, the concept of delayed gratification had no place in Esau's thinking. He lived for what was before him, be it the hunt for a meal or the company of women. Esau was singularly unreflective. Singularly unreflective. He had no sense of the spiritual, no eye for the unseen. If you were to quote 2 Corinthians 5, 7 to Esau, we walk by faith and not by sight, he would know nothing of that. He had no vision. He had only earthbound dreams. Do you know some people like this? You, you sit there and try to tell them about some deeper things, some profound things, some things that have to do with the soul and the spirit, and it feels like you're talking to a wall. They just don't seem to get it. Yet a big part of their existence, what it means to be made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, is to get a sense of the spiritual. I think we can see that all around us, even in... Uh, areas of the world where they're off, where there's uh, polytheistic religion and false religion, at least we see still that there's a sense in man that there's something higher than him. Even a small percentage today of, of people worldwide are atheists. But for, for Esau, even though he may have said, you know, tongue in cheek that he believed, he never thought deeply about holy things. Do you? What causes a person to think deeply about that which is holy? What causes a person to think deeply about transcendent things, things above? 
Do you know the people who think deeply about those kinds of things are often the people that have come to the pinnacle of worldly success? Because they're forced to ask the question, if I get to the top of a hill, if I have a bank account that has big numbers in it or lots of trophies on the shelf, and still I sense an emptiness in my soul, does that mean that I was made for something higher than just physical accomplishments, conquest, whatever people tend to do? And so he didn't think deeply about these things. He Blithely sold his birthright for Jacob's stew with the, one writer says, with the facetious rhetoric of starvation. He wasn't really starving. It was, he did something very dumb. He gave away something very precious. What does it take for you to sell away what's most important? You know, the, the carrot is dangled in front of us all the time, Right? The world tells you, well, you don't need to really worry about, you know, what you do here or there. It's not a big deal until you find out. And let me tell you from experience, it's a big deal. What God says is sacred, he doesn't say it just to say it. He's not some killjoy up in the sky trying to ruin all your fun. He actually knows what's right and true and good. He knows what's going to soothe your conscience He knows what's going to cause you to rest easy on your pillow at night because he wired you this way. And so here we are, and we're looking at a man who was around the holy things. After all, he's born into this line that is going to make up the chosen people of God. But this writer goes on to say he cared not at all about the covenant's future glorious promise of Canaan, and a multitude of descendants. Look at Hebrews 12, look at verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, Hebrews 12, 14, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. This is for us. This is for us to read and heed. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it, Many be defiled. You see, it wasn't just about Esau. It's about his, his lineage, the records of his generations. Many became defiled because of what he did. That there be no immoral or godless man or person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, something else that he lost by his conniving brother, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it, he sought for it with tears. If you turn back to the book of Genesis, you remember the story, Jacob acts like he's Esau. He goes in, he puts the fur on his arms, he tries to smell like his brother and so forth, and he is able to dupe his father, and his father gives the blessing to Jacob. And when Esau realizes what his brother does, he he says, Father in tears, don't you have a blessing left for me? And the blessing that dad gives Esau is not a good one. It's nowhere near in comparison to what Jacob received. You see, the Bible says that people who who uh, live their lives this way, they lack a spiritual perception. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually 
appraised. If you've ever had a piece of property appraised, you know what an appraiser does. He assesses value. He will look at your property if you're going to put it up for sale or you're going to go get a loan, and he will determine the value of that property. The natural man cannot properly appraise spiritual value. So he looks at what you do, that you read your Bible, that you pray, that you go to Bible studies, that you share your faith, and he thinks it's ridiculous because he doesn't know how to assess value. And one of the things that you and I need to learn to do is how to value things the way God values them, how to value people the way God values them. You're going to spend the rest of your life doing that, but let me tell you right now, if you can begin to see life through God's eyes, you'll be doing really well. The word says that Esau actually despised his birthright. That's Genesis 25, 34. He didn't just push it away. He despised it. He put it up for sale. And then when he wept, when he lost the blessing, it says he didn't find the place of repentance. He was sorry for what he lost, but not sorry for how he got there. Would you please hear that? He was sorry for what he lost, but not sorry for how he got there. There's a lot of people in the moment when they realize they've lost something because of their bad behavior, they say, oh no. There's a lot of people behind bars tonight who go, oh no, I don't like what's happening to me. But unless there's godly repentance, they don't really change. They just don't like the consequences of what's happened to them by their poor choices. That was Esau. He didn't really put it together. He didn't really get it. And so he was told, you're going to live, Genesis 27, 39, his father prophesies. He says, you're going to be away from the fertility of the earth. You're going to be away from the dew of heaven. You're going to live by your sword. And so this is Esau. Back to Genesis 36, look at verse 2. Esau took his wives. So you got the records in, in 36.1. And here he took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. He had Ada. Her name means ornament. The daughter of Elon the Hittite. And um, uh, well, I, what I, well, the way I'd read this is Oh Holy Bama the daughter of Anna, and the granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite. He took wives from the daughters of Canaan. Now, you, you could be reading your Bible, and you, you go, well, you may not even park there, so what? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Canaanites, if you just start to think about what that means, this is put in the language of what is considered derogatory. This, this is a comment about the man. Do you remember when um, Abraham was sending off Isaac to get a bride in Genesis 24? He made Eleazar, his servant, promise that he would not take wives or take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. He said, please. And he made him grab his inner thigh. Do you remember when we were there in Genesis 24? It's around verses three or four. And he said, look, you are going to swear by God that you will not pick a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. 
Now that was important for the line that would lead to the Messiah, but it was also important for practical reasons because the Canaanite women worshiped what? Other gods. And even Solomon's heart was turned away from the true God, one of the wisest, smartest men that ever lived because he married outside the proper lines and even, we would argue, outside the faith. In fact, his wives turned his heart away from God. Let me tell you, young people, this is very important for you to hear. Who you marry has huge implications for your life. And if you decide to marry outside the faith, put your seatbelt on really tight. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God can't redeem a situation. I'm not saying that God can't work things together for good. But I am saying this. If you decide not to do things God's way, if you start making decisions, you say, oh, well, he's so cute. I'm sure he'll become a Christian. She's so pretty. Well, that may be true, but what you want is beauty on the inside. Amen? Beauty on the outside is not bad either. Don't get me wrong. And so what he did is he married daughters of Canaan. And look, he took not just a wife. He was also a polygamist. He took wives, look at verse 2, from the daughters of Canaan. And he took a woman whose name was Oholibaba. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. So you have, you have a Hittite here, and you have a Hivite and then he had base, base math. Uh, her name, I think, means perfume. Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebioth. And, you know, he did this because he realized his parents were unhappy about these Canaanite women. In fact, we're told in one section of the scriptures that we've just recently read that the, these Canaanite wives were driving mom and dad crazy. In fact, mom says at one point, that I almost like want to die because of these women. Now, you guys, you guys know that when it goes bad with the in-laws, <laughs> sometimes you want to just head for the mountains, right? It can be tough when you're not on the same page spiritually. Some of you run into this at holidays. You, you have a very, you know, uh, specific thing that you want to focus on at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and, you, and a family get-together happens and all it takes is one sour apple. All right, if we got to pray, Holy Joe, Christmas, would you speed it up? I want to hear about Jesus at Christmas. And you know that your decisions, the records of your generation, will be marked down. Some of you can't, you can't imagine this right now. You can't imagine that 30, 40 years are going to go by and there's going to be a record of your generation. But I got news for you. It happens. The clock just keeps ticking for all of us. Pastor Michael, I know this is hard. I was 16 at one point. I was. Keyword was. And so he did this, and he said, well, mom and dad don't like my Canaanite wives, so I'll marry an Ishmaelite. <laughs> Wait a minute. 
That's not a great career move because she is of mixed blood too because Ishmael is a product of Abram and Hagar who's Egyptian. And that was a whole nother story. So he kind of went halfway with it. He said, well, maybe this will make mom and dad happy. It shows you that the guy was somewhat sensitive, but he was still not getting it. So look at verse 5. And Oholibama bore Jeush and Jalem and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan while he was still in what would be the promised land or what was the promised land. Maybe you can relate to this. When I was growing up, uh, you would hear somebody's name. And if you had a positive interaction with someone with that name, it would be cool. And if that name had a negative, you had a negative history with someone with that name, you're kind of like, eh, don't, don't really like that name. And one of those names that comes out in scripture is a man named Esau, Esau. I haven't met any Esau's over my lifetime. There may be some out there, but Esau's name really has a negative connotation. And when you start thinking about life, guys, and just start thinking about, you know, you, you get one life, you get a dash between two dates. What you do with it is what really matters. You know, the end of Psalm 139 basically says you can do it God's way, the everlasting way, or you can do it your way, which is the hurtful way. That's what life comes down to. Are you going to do it God's way or your way? Well, Esau spent most of his time doing it his way. Now, Esau did have some moments where there were some good things like his forgiveness of Jacob. We just saw that after 20 years, you know, he was gracious with his brother. But for the rest of what I can remember, Esau was a man who didn't ponder his decisions uh, and their consequences. He sold his birthright uh, for a, a, a pot of soup or a, a bowl of soup. He lost the blessing um, to his brother. He was manipulated, but again, he didn't seem to care about the birthright. And then, you know, when you get to the New Testament, basically he's, he's served up as a negative example where it says that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. That is Hebrews 12, 16. And, you know, how many people do we all know who sold their soul, sold everything that was really important for a single moment. Now, it might, might not have been for a meal, but maybe it was a moment of pleasure. Maybe it was, you know, they, they got infatuated or intoxicated with something, and, and it ended up kind of sadly, um, it became what they're known for. It, it, it became the identifying factor in their life. Now, here's the good news, folks. No matter what we've done, no matter what mistakes we made, they don't have to define us. Your mistakes, your past doesn't have to define you. But the way that you can have it redefined is by meeting the God of grace and, and having your life transformed, being born again to a living hope and having a new direction. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. 
www.thepurpose.org.